0: Welcome. You're listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at rosalprez.org. Thanks for listening. As we start the new year, I want you to know that it's our time annually to elect elders. And so we need you to make nominations for people that you feel are called and qualified to serve in leadership here at RPC the next three years. Presbyterian churches are representative democracies. That means we elect who will lead us. And so we need you to nominate folks. And we have several qualifications. Number one, they have to be, have been a a member for over a year. They have to be in worship regularly. They have to give financially, and they have to be known for serving with wisdom and with passion. And so if you have somebody to nominate, you can do it at roswellpress.org, or outside these doors, there's these forms. You fill out the name, put it in uh, the elder nominations uh, box, and then it will go to the nominating committee. We're kicking off a new sermon series, Help, and we're going to be looking at topics and things that everybody rustles with and see what God and Scripture has to say to us. Today we're going to look at the issue of finding peace in an anxious world. All of us wrestle with anxiety and fear and worries. What does it mean to find God's peace? We're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. So let's open our hearts, our minds, and our ears for the word of the Lord. Do not worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious, loving God, I ask that you might speak to our hearts as only you can speak by your spirit. Lord, we all rest you. Wrestle with the problems of worry, and frustration, and anxiety. So much in this world does not bring peace. So how might we find that peace that passes all understanding? Lord, be our teacher. Now may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be pleasing. Your sight, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. My first car was given to me. And for good reason. I could trace six generations of this car. Andy gave it to his brother Joe, Joe gave it to me, I gave it to Joel, Joel gave it to Clint, and Clint gave it to some busser who worked with him at the restaurant. We named the car Thunderstruck after the ACDC song, because you could hear it coming from miles away. Let me give you some of the specs of this car. It was an early 90s Honda Accord two-door hatchback. The driver's side door did not open from the outside because there was no door handle. The windows would roll up and down with varying unpredictable speeds. There was no defrost, the muffler had holes in it so that when you drove, you felt like you were a maverick in top gun. It was covered with all kinds of bumper stickers. We passed it along from one to another as the odometer approached 300,000 miles on this car. Needless to say, there was kind of a precariousness in driving it. When you drove it, you felt simultaneously thrill and terror. Over the years, we came up with little hacks to fix it. We patched or tried to patch the muffler. We would always make sure when we took a girl on a date that we got the door for her, and then we would gently ask her to open the driver's side door. Clint, he was the fifth owner of Thunderstruck came up with maybe the most creative and risky fix for the car. One day he was driving down the viaduct freeway in Seattle. And out of nowhere, the front passenger side of the car drops down. And so he pulls over to the side of the road. He walks around, he looks under it. And the axle is breaking away from the wheel. What's he going to do? He's a poor college student. Being in Seattle, it's started to rain. He looks in the the car to see if there's anything he could find to help. He needs to hurry before the police see him on the side of the road. And so what does he find? Duct tape. He goes around and begins to duct tape the axle to the wheel. And then he takes off. And over the next several weeks, anytime he felt the front passenger side getting a little shaky, what did he do? Apply more duct tape. <laughs> Eventually, it came time for him to give the car away to his coworker. And he gave his friend some wise advice. He says, you can drive with duct tape for a while, but eventually you're going to have to fix it with something that can bear the weight of the car. It's wise advice. You can drive it with duct tape for a while, but eventually you're going to have to find something that can bear the weight of the car. Isn't that how we live our lives? We often find temporary solutions to much Heavier problems. Our solutions work, but only for a little while. Could have a problem in a relationship. Oh, I'm going to give them the silent treatment. A little passive aggression. Let me tell you from personal experience, that's duct tape. Maybe you got financial problems. You think if you just avoid them that they'll just go away. Duct tape. we be dealing with stress, looking for a way to escape. And we think maybe prescription pain pills might do the trick. Duct tape. I was at a party not too long ago, and there was a guy there. I noticed he was drinking non-alcoholic beer. And so I went over to him, and as you know, I'm a nosy person. So I said, is that stuff any good? He so said, do you not drink alcohol? He says, no, I don't. Now, I happen to know this guy. He's a very successful businessman, a great husband, a great father. So I asked him, I said, why do you not drink? And with shocking frankness, he says to me, well, I have a super addictive personality. And a number of years ago, I developed an addiction to opioids. Eventually, I had to go to rehab, inpatient for several months, and then I had to do outpatient rehab. I just can't mess with that kind of stuff. He tried to hold it together for a while, but that was just duct tape. So much of our lives tends to offer temporary solutions to much more serious problems. I think all human beings are on the search for what the Apostle Paul calls the peace that passes all understanding. Now, I know what some of you are thinking when the Apostle Paul talks about the peace that passes understanding, he's just being Panglossian. Now, now some of you know that Panglossian is one of my favorite words in the English language. Why? Because guess what it means, Panglossian. It means to be inappropriately optimistic. Paul is not being Panglossian. He knows about the anxieties, the cares, the worries of life. When he writes this letter, again and again in the letter to the church in Philippi, he says, I want to come with you. I want to be with you. I want to travel and see you. Guess what? He can't because he's in prison. Right before the passage I read, he admonishes two women who are leaders in the church to reconcile, to get over their differences, to forgive one another. He's worried about his very life. He's worried about security. He will go on to be martyred. He's got constant financial and money problems. He's got problems with his followers. His friends betray him. His followers go after false teachers. His life is full of troubles, frustrations, letdowns. Yet, despite all the troubles of life, Paul says we can find peace. But this kind of peace is not duct tape. Peace is a critical theme in the Bible. It appears in the Old and New Testament over 330 times. In Hebrew, the word is shalom. It means well-being or harmony. In the New Testament, the word for peace is irene. It's where we get the word irenic from. Every New Testament letter outside of 1 John and James concludes with the salutation, peace, or peace be with you. Again and again, the Bible refers to God as the God of peace. Jesus is known as the Prince of Peace. The holy city, Jerusalem, is Shalom, the city of peace. One commentator says we should understand salvation as finding peace. And this all stands in direct contrast to the Roman world. You may have heard of the Pax Romana. The peace of Rome. But if you look under the hood, you'll see that peace is only brought about through violence and brutality and oppression. The world does appear to be full of competition, conflict, and violence. This led Thomas Hobbes, the philosopher in the 16th century, in his great book, Leviathan, to talk about the state of nature that human beings are born into. Listen to what he describes. The condition of man is a condition of war, of everyone against everyone, in which case everyone is governed by his own reason, and there is nothing he can make use of that may not be a help unto him in preserving his life against his enemies. What a vision for human life! (laughs) The state of nature is a war of everyone against everyone. Duct tape won't bring peace to that kind of predicament. But it's interesting that the Bible often defines the world we live in in a similar fashion. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It says we're often at war with God and we don't even know it. Why? Because if you don't have God as the top priority in your life, it'll be very difficult to find peace. If you don't worship God, you will worship something else. I don't care if it's material possessions, if it's fame or power, or our own family, the list goes on. But these things, if we worship them, will only bring us anxiety, fear, worry. Really anxious about what we don't have, and worried that what we do have will be taken from us. We all know this feeling. The modern world is basically designed to make us feel anxious. And that's where the good news of the gospel says. You're not defined by what you have and all that, you're defined by being a child of God. We can find peace when we hear the good news that is revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a reason that at his birth, the angels say, peace on earth, and goodwill to all people. And this peace goes all the way back to the fundamental intentions God has for all of creation, shalom. It's an all-encompassing kind of vision of harmony, well-being, flourishing. I love what the Yale philosopher Nicholas Walterstorff, how he defines shalom in his great book, Until Justice and Peace Embrace. Walterstorff has had his, his tragedies in his life, you can read, Lament for a Son. But yet he can still talk about shalom and peace in this way. To dwell in shalom is to enjoy living before God, to enjoy living in one's physical surroundings, to enjoy living with one's fellows, to enjoy life with oneself. This peace is enjoyment with God, with one another, with ourselves. This is the peace of God that passes all understanding. If we have God at the top, it reorients the rest of our lives. And so that relationship that we thought treating with passive aggressiveness, God frees us up to forgive, to offer grace, and to ask for forgiveness for ourselves. Those financial problems that we're so worried about and we just think we're going to avoid, When we don't find our identity and our wealth, we're able to confront it, set our priorities. The temptation to abuse prescription pills. You'll be able to go to God in prayer, knowing that God cares for you. You won't try to use duct tape to solve your problems because duct tape solutions won't work. The great public intellectual the turn of the 20th century, G.K. Chesterton, also uh, the author of the Father Brown mystery series that's now a a famous television show. He would often argue with the popular intellectuals of his day. Often they were atheists. And he would argue for the persuasiveness of the Christian faith. I love his work because he speaks of the mystery but also of the surprise of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. He speaks about how putting it at the center of our lives can bring us that peace that passes all understanding. At the end of his book, The Everlasting Man, he summarizes and speaks to this idea. Listen to what he writes. "'Right in the middle of all these things "'stands up an enormous exception. "'It is quite unlike anything else. "'It is a thing final, like the trumpet of doom, "'though it is a piece of good news, "'news that seems too good to be true. It is nothing less than the loud assertion that this mysterious maker of the world has visited his planet in person. And at the end of this great book, he writes, I have not minimized the scale of the miracle as some of our milder theologians think it wise to do. Rather, I have deliberately dwelled on that incredible interruption as a blow that broke the very backbone of history. He's referring to the BCAD turnover. And he goes on, and he concludes with this. I have great sympathy with those who are scandalized by this and are worried about it because they think it might shake the world. And here is Chesterton's great last line. But it did not shake the world. It has steadied the world. It did not shake the world. It has steadied the world. God has come to us in Jesus Christ, and that is not duct tape. God's action is to bring peace. I recently made an addition to the the wall in my office. (laughs) I want a a reminder of this point. And so a former student of mine who went to Emory is now a cartoonist at the New Yorker. And I asked him if he would draw a reproduction of my favorite cartoon of his. And he did, and it hangs on my wall. It's a picture of two turtles. And one of the turtles is upside down on a shell. And at the bottom it reads, my ambitions have become very simple recently. I love that. Because it gets to the heart, not just of the turtle's condition, but of the human condition. And my friend Colin put a little note on the back of the cartoon. And it reads, to Jeff, who was in the turtle flipping business. Guess what? That's true for me, and that's true for you. We aren't in the business of duct tape. We are in the turtle-flipping business. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the peace that passes all understanding that you offer us in your son, Jesus Christ. Amidst the anxieties, worries, fears of life, I pray that we might have the courage to put it at the very center, that we might receive peace of your spirit. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.